0: one of the things i do even with even with with work with architecture is i try and simplify the complex right try and break it down to the fundamentals um, so if you think about museums just by definition they're a western social construct right they were they were institutions that were built to celebrate empire to celebrate british imperialism and conquest right so if you and understand what that means you had these buildings which were erected and then objects that were taken from faraway places by british soldiers either as loot or as just you know squalls of war were now put in these buildings to celebrate the strength and the might and the glory of of the empire <laughs>
1: Welcome back to another season of Third Culture Africans. I'm proud to say Africa's number one award-winning career and entrepreneurship podcast voted for by you at the African Podcast and Voice Awards. I am Zezo Ariake Sal, your host. I'm obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and our show is dedicated to igniting your entrepreneurial journey, sharing resources and giving you the tools to pursue your dreams fearlessly. We celebrate artistry and stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed. Inspiring, motivating, and full of wonder. Discover how those who succeed do it. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Sit back, relax, and let's do this. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. On this week's episode, we've got Sean Oduole. So hello, hello. just a little intro to this episode, which is different from what I normally or what we normally would do. Um, but Sean and I actually have recorded this episode before. Unfortunately, the powers that be when it comes to technology, we ended up only with Sharon's uh, track of audio and not mine. Um, But it's been a good few months since we spoke. And I thought it would be great to, um, in theory, the point of this show is to capture people in their meantime, not at the end of the journey when, you know, you can look back with great, uh, hindsight and explain your journey to achieving. Um, so we recorded before um, the John Randall Center for Yoruba Culture and History had actually um, launched and the project was finished. Um, this episode is now being recorded after months after the project actually has launched. So there's hindsight into how it's been received, et cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think it will be fun for us uh, to be able to stitch in, I guess some of the before and after answers um, from that from that recording uh, because I think it would be a great representation of the journey, during the journey post and then where you are at now. Um, We're trying something new, guys. So hopefully if you like what you hear and how this episode um, evolves over over your listen, let us know, social media, email, a contact form on the website. It will perhaps maybe create a new uh, dimension to some episodes where we could go back and revisit with some of our past guests and have sort of the after story. Uh, but without further ado, uh, this week's guest is Shewano Duole. He's an architect. Um, he's the lead principal at SISA with an appetite for innovation, Nottingham University graduate, um, and has created what will be for our generation uh the actual the architectural language project of this decade in nigeria through the john randall center for yoruba culture and history and there's so much more that we can throw in um so thanks for joining us
0: thank you for inviting me Thank second
1: you. time, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I feel like to do it twice. I feel like <laughs> we've 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 talked so much um I know. And I feel like I'm I'm conscious that I don't want to miss some parts of your story because I feel like we have it. Um okay. but I would love to kind of insert I guess your early journey um, from mm-hmm. our early recordings round about here so mm-hmm. if you guys can sit back take a listen uh she explain sort of his journey into architecture and where he is now
0: okay it starts i don't know i think it actually starts with my granddad so my granddad's a scholar or was a scholar um and a baptist minister so he's very studious yeah I had a massive library and that was one of my sort of favorite childhood memories just going into his library and just getting lost in books and you know it was you know you know how you walk into you see a harry Potter movie you just see those those books you know so he had them all grimm's fairy tales anderson's fairy tales black beauty hansel and gretel and he you know i'd read them he'd tell me lots of stories and then you know there were lots of Yoruba stories as well, that he just, you know, he was just this font of knowledge and storytelling and creativity. So you can imagine as a sort of six, seven year old just disappearing into books and, you know, that shaping your imagination at a very young, young age, you know. So, I mean, I realized very quickly that I'm very right brain, very creative, I was very good at art. Um, My dad's an architect as well. Um, so it was almost, it was almost like a path that I had no choice but to follow, you know? Um, so I went to, I actually went to university in Nigeria for three years. I went to university of Nigeria in Enugu. I went there at 16. There's a very weird backstory behind there. Very weird backstory. I kind of, <laughs> half of it was a blur if I'm honest, but I was there you know, learned some stuff or, well, I was there and I I vaguely remember some sort of education (laughs) during my three years there, but um, there were lots of strikes. Uh, So I was at home half the time. So I went to Nottingham University. So, I mean, by that time I'd honed my technical skills at least a bit more than a fresher than a first year university student would have. Architecture yes yeah so i went in it's yeah i think 18 at the right age um so i was good technically I and mean, i could draw very well but what was a shock to me was the more theoretical philosophical side of architecture you know which is taught in the west but it's not um it's not taught or it wasn't taught in nigerian universities so that that was a big that was a big hit to my system um because i had to I had to learn i had to go back to reading to understand <laughs> you know and 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 you know i had to immerse myself in in in, in history art history architecture history philosophy styles uh, architecture philosophies but then also english literature there was there was just so much of it and so it took me a while to it took me a while to to get used to that. You know, I, I really struggled, but, and it really hit my confidence, you know, because, you know, same as you, I thought, yeah, I know what I'm good at. Um, I can draw very well. I'm really, really creative. I can come up with really crazy ideas. I couldn't explain my ideas. I couldn't articulate my thoughts. And so that that really dented my confidence and it really affected um, at least my first year through uni spoke to some people and I, I, I identified what the problems were. I, I knew I was quite weak on the theory on architecture theory. So I just, I spent summers just catching up, just reading, just going to the start, man, Plato, Socrates, <laughs> can't, you, you know, people would think, what does that have to do with architecture? <laughs> but I graduated and I couldn't get a job. And I remember sending out CV after CV, must have sent out 30 CVs, man. Couldn't get a job. Spoke to one of my tutors who, I mean, it was funny story because I was, I was, I was aiming for sort of call it your tier two firms, your B firms. And he said, look, man, just shoot, shoot for the top. You know, try the A guys. I remember looking at the guy like this guy, he just sort of killed my confidence completely shut. <laughs> I can't, I can't get with the B guys. You already tried the A guys. And he's like, look, what's, what's the worst that could happen? You get five, six more no's. Um, and long story short, I did got an interview with one of the biggest firms in the UK at the time, Hopkins and partners, and I got a slot and that, that changed. I think that was when that was when everything changed, because I went there, and I was thinking to myself, Oh, my God, I'm in one of the big four or five firms, you know, and, you know, walked in, you know, and the thing with architecture is, you're usually the only blackface in any sort of firm or meeting you go to. So I walked in there, um, very intimidated. I remember my line director, you know, he read it. And he just sort of put me at ease, told me not to worry. You know, took me, introduced me to everybody, top to bottom, directors, the tea lady, everyone. My portfolio spoke to them because I'm my work has always been very strong, you know, right from right from primary school. Um, but I didn't have confidence in the work because I realized I just couldn't, you know, when 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 we had when we had crits, where we had to defend our work, I get so nervous because I couldn't find the words to explain and convey my thoughts and I'd freeze and I'd start to stammer, you know, and that would be the difference between maybe like an A minus and a C plus. I mean, by the time I left, you know, I was comfortable. I was getting in at seven o'clock myself and I'm waking up at five. I can't wait to get into the office. Um, I'm going, I'm going to crit's presentations with them. I'm seeing how they command the room. You know, they give me little tips on how to talk, how to present. And then I'm going back as well and doubling up on my reading. You know, just doubling up on my literature, doubling up on just anything I can get. I I became, because I'd, I'd also built that skill early, learning how to read and learning how to understand, it was now, this was like the final piece of the puzzle, where I was able to now take that understanding and express it, you know, find the words, find the vocabulary, and then have the confidence to say, okay, to sell the idea. So by the time i went back for my masters i was i was i was a completely different person
1: great so back to present day architectural digest um yes. has called you the man leading the charge in the next wave of design on the continent Oof,
0: high praise
1: hey big time and pressure
0: and big pressure. time
1: <laughs> Big
0: I need, you know, I need to, I need to cut that out and frame it.
1: <laughs> Big time. How, how are you feeling today? Now that, you know, we've heard about your, your journey thus far. How are you feeling today? Now that the project is live, it is tangible. People are walking in the building using the space and all of the press that's come with it you've had international press local press all sorts of press
0: yeah it's it's surreal um but okay I'm going to I'm going to make a slight confession it's not open to the public yet um, but we've been doing private tours yes. when 90 when 94 Five percent of the weight there so i know there's been a lot of media the videos that have gone around
1: President,
0: um, yeah plenty okay. big let people let me have let me let me now. let me let me cast zizi that that, that thing was rob and shine it wasn't <laughs> it was, was and Shane, man. <laughs> you know but um they, they needed you know rob and shine before the main buff um yeah. So the main bath hopefully should be sometime before the end of the year. But we've had lots of people come through. Um it's 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 like I said, it's it's ninety-five percent of the way done. We've got maybe seven empty showcases. Um, and that's just because the objects to go in those showcases are coming from the British Museum, Pitt Rivers, and one other international museum. So we need to sort of cross Ts dot i's and sort of legal partnership agreement frameworks before those objects now get Shipped back to Lagos, okay. Uh, pause, pause,
1: that... pause, pause, pause. That you're just giving mm-hmm. us this is a very good uh, name dropping, but uh, British Museum, who are you, yeah.
0: Pitt Rivers uh, uh, Museum Rivers. in Oxford? Yeah, wonderful PI double T. Yeah, okay. Um, and there's one that we're still talking to, which I Fowler Museum in California. Um, so,
1: so let's put this into context. You mm-hmm. are waiting for artifacts that very much belong to Nigeria that have been for <laughs> centuries
0: Ooh. living
1: in other people's spaces. Ooh. Now, in the press recently, there's been there's been talk about that, right? There's been you're, you're um, throwing
0: me straight into this restitution argument.
1: Ah, uh, wait, we so
0: have, I'm giving out may- a hard pass, man.
1: Handbrake,
0: is- you turn. <laughs>
1: wait now so so we've heard about how the project came to light because Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. are about to insert it here
0: so hmm randall center my perfect project it would be this like if i if someone sat, you know if someone sat me down as a student and say just write your perfect brief it you know it would be this uh because it's it's the opportunity to sort of test all the thoughts and ideas that I've accumulated over the 20 years that I've been working and, and try bring it to life, you know, um, but I mean, the very start of this, there's are sort of, there are about three different starts to the project. <laughs> so let me, let me start with my own start and then, you know, um, or let me, let me talk about my own start and then, and then how the project, you know, really came to life. Um, so I've got. This group, right, um, of other architects, as myself, Papa, or and Tosin Oshino. Um, and we once in a while we come together and sort of just exchange ideas and just talk about architecture, urbanism, and um, how we can improve um, the quality of architecture through the work that we do, or through mentoring young young architects, or you know, or teaching, or just talking about it, our experiences. Um so we I think it was in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, we held a program at the British Council looking at interstitial spaces, which as um leftover spaces in urban areas and how they get underdeveloped. So um under bridges or those little sort of plots of land between uh, a road and a housing area, you know, these spaces that now get neglected and you get gangs, drug, druggies. Or, or or just where people go lay about. And, you know, so we did a study, and then I, I was also doing another study about um, Lagos, and um, Lagos during the rainy season and why it always floods, right? Um, which is one, because we're too close to sea level, and a lot of the green space has been built over, so the water can't go into the ground, and we don't have uh, a proper established drainage network right so these two exercises were running in tandem um so during those studies um we in the office we we came up with this idea of um trying to create public interventions so papa worked on this project which turned the underside of falamore bridge into a usable space um, and he worked with an artist called Polly Alakija. so if you go there now um They've 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 turned it into a really nice space, you know. So some events are held there, kids play football, there um there's paintings of the chipbock girls on the columns of the bridge. Um and we thought came up with this idea of sort of trying to recreate a green space, uh swimming pool space, you know, somewhere somewhere in Lagos. Um and then I met I met someone who uh had a conversation with who now mentioned that the that the governor and the Lagos state government were thinking of a new museum right um uh, and then as part of that conversation I was told oh do you realize there's an old swimming pool somewhere in Lagos Island and I'm like really <laughs> you know so I went to look at the swimming pool, took pictures. So went there, took pictures and sort of put together a proposal to renovate the swimming pool. It was completely boarded off, so it was on on j k. Randall Road. you drive past it, you won't even know there's a swimming pool there uh so we got in, we snuck in, you know, took our pictures, you know went back to the office, did a model um and then put it together and handed it over, gave it to this person who passed it on to someone in lagos Lagos state government uh and then we got a call back saying we should we should turn up at the sites, so we went to the sites you we know, were just sort of standing there casually at the. And then the governor turned up, (laughs) so governor turned up and then we, you know, we, we told him about the idea and he was like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Like it. Mm, Like it. Uh, and so we were excited. We went away. Um, we went away thinking, okay, well this is, this is, we can, we can, we can, we can renovate this. Uh, and then we got a call back saying, oh, they needed, um, they needed another building. Um, and I said, you know, what do you mean? You need another building? Because there was there was a there was a there was a hall, there was a memorial hall next to the swimming pool, um, that was demolished, and there was an uproar. So we were called and said, okay, we need a design to replace that memorial hall. I'm like, okay, what do you need? <laughs> uh, and so there was there was an idea of something, but there wasn't really a brief. So we said, okay, fine, you know, we'll go away because they said, oh, we want a museum. I'm like, why? There's a museum right across the road. The National Museum's right across the road. Um, but I said, you know what, I went back to the office and said, guys, okay, let's think about this. Let's, so let's sit down. I'd, when we were looking at that swimming pool, I'd done some research because the first question is why is there a swimming pool here and how come nobody knows about it? You know? So I went and spoke to my dad, spoke to a few of my uncles, you know, tried to get as much information as possible. That was when I found out about, about Dr. John Randall. Right. So Dr. John Randall was born in Syria alone. Um, his, his grandmother uh, was Sarah Forbes Bonetta, who I think was Queen Victoria's, who was gifted as a slave to Queen Victoria, but got adopted, so she was Queen Victoria's goddaughter, right? So he he schooled in the UK, came back to Nigeria, set up a surgery on the marina um at the turn of the 19th century, and there was a jetty. In front of his surgery, so little kids used to go there play. Boats used to take off from there to Ikorodu, Badagri, and if there were any accidents and people drowned, those corpses would wash up to the front of his um, surgery. Bit morbid. Um, so he went to the he went to the government house. He went to the state hu- to the to, to the to the to the colonial government house at the time and said, "Look, um, can you guys build a pool so that?" these kids and other Lagosians could learn how to swim. And they said no. So all of Ronicon around that time used was a park called King George V Park. So think think Kensington Park, right? Just big, large expanse park, you know, Tafa Balewa Square was the race course. It was, you know, there were tennis courts. Lagos Lawn Tennis Court, where, where Lagos Lawn Tennis Court is now, were, you know, actual proper lawn tennis courts. So that entire area was a park with tennis courts you know with 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 a race course, and so they said to him, "We won't build the pool, but you're happy to build it you know if you want so he built the pool in the park with his own money in nineteen twenty eight and so obviously it 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 became a big attraction, big recreational space, um lots of negotiations at the time swam in you know in there, and then he passed away, his son took it over um and i think his son passed away in 1952 or 53 or so then five of his son's friends uh, came together set up a trust to look after the pool right so that kept going uh and then in i think sometime in 1956 uh Tafaa balewa now gave them uh the plot of land right next to the swimming pool and they built a hall in memory of uh, jk randall who was the son of dr randall so that hall became another nucleus but for but for creatives so secret soprano Wallace uh, Quincy, uh you know there were a lot of theater performances poetry readings it became think like the like the current freedom park so that was that was the main sort of cultural nucleus of lagos island right uh, so you had the swimming pool and then you had the performance hall in in the park, and and that worked. That was that was available to the public until the 70s, sometime sometime in 70s, 76 or 77, when the military came, and it it you know it just sort of went into disrepair. Uh, and then fast forward to 2006, when we got involved. So I thought, you know what? There's there's a strong memory of the city here. And a lot of you know, and, and a lot of history. So why don't we try and recreate that? Why don't we try and bring that back? So we renovate the swimming pool, and rather than have this uh, just a performance hall, we try and create a community space, a community center at a larger scale, right? And then we have additional recreational facilities, uh, restaurants, breakout spaces, um, and then. We we we, we landscape the entire area. Try and put back as much of that King George V Park space that was there. So so that's that's a summary of what's of the brief that we created.
1: Okay, so back to present day. Yes, we're we're wanting to, or I am wanting to talk about um, a little bit about the journey in broaching that conversation about hey, I've built this structure. Here is what it means to the people, and here is I would love to have X, Y, and Z pieces. Where where does that conversation begin? So, not necessarily starting the political debate about uh, mm. a, around restitution, but how mm. how do you go about having that? Because you're just a you're just a you know, in your own words, a regular guy who had yep. a vision who wanted to create something that yep. outlived you. Right. Now, where does a regular guy begin to have discussions with the British Museum and navigating the restitution portion of things without, without
0: stepping on toes?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for me, it was very simple. Um, One of the things I do, even with even with with work, with architecture, is I try and simplify the complex. Right try and break it down to the fundamentals. Um so if you think about museums just by definition they're a western social construct, right? They were there were institutions that were built to celebrate empire, to celebrate british imperialism and conquest, right? So if you try and understand what that means, you had these buildings which were erected and then objects that were taken from far away places by British soldiers, either as loot or as just you know spoils of war, were now put in these buildings to celebrate the strength and the might and the glory of, of the empire, right so that the locals can come and see what the natives and savages from faraway places did in their spare time, or, or trinkets, you know that sort of thing. And so if you, if you now sort of put that within our context, the National Museum which is right opposite um, our building, it was built in 1957 by um, Bill Fagg and Kenneth Murray. And I think they got a bursary from from the British government. They, you know, they erected the building. They went round the country and bought uh, a number of objects, quite a lot of objects. They bought them in pairs. So one half they used to fill the National Museum. The other half they actually took to the British Museum. So right from the start, you know, you could already sort of trace the provenance of a number of objects that went from here to, to the British Museum. So that's, you know, number one. And then number two, um, most of us who grew up in Lagos have been to their museum at one time or another. And, you know, there's a disconnect, it doesn't quite work. Yes, it's informative, but there's no context. You know, there isn't much context to to, to the exhibition. So, and I remember, I don't know how old I was, eight, nine. I was always struck by how, you know, alien it felt, how academic it felt, you know, um, how divorced or how I how unmoved I was, <laughs> you know. And then, uh, I mean, my, my I come from a fam- family of art people. Um, so did quite a few visits when I was younger, Paris, the Louvre, the BM, the British Museum as well. Um, and going into these places and just, them being very quiet very static very solemn very contemplative spaces and then in a corner somewhere there's the africa collection where you know east west nupe yoruba nok kanuri everything in, is all just, everything just, 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 just kind of jumbled it's together, just one it's there. one
1: conquest story basically
0: yeah so yeah. so when of when this opportunity came along for me personally it was an opportunity to interrogate this idea of museology Right and and the entire Western paradigm to say look, um, this is a space that we're now going to situate in Lagos in Onikan, which is the cultural heartbeat of Lagos Island, right? Uh, and there's a lot of history that surrounds it, you know, from the State House, which was built by the British government, was the colonial seat of power, Island Club, which was the first private members' club that wasn't open to, um nigerians and then you had yeah and then lagos lawn tennis club the same and then Yoruba tennis club was set by Herbert macaulay and and so on and so forth
1: so you 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 talked about um i guess the history of the site when we last spoke so we're gonna just throw that in here just so that in present day listeners can catch up
0: you know all the spaces around on so you have the national museum across the street which is built in 1957 um The other side of the fence from us is the other side of the fence from us is um, Island Club, which was the first private members club. Then across the road, so um, locals were not allowed into Island Club. So Yoruba Tennis Club was was um, was set up by indigents Herbert Macaulay, um, Katie Adjei, and a few other people so there was there's a lot of there's a lot of history there as to why these buildings were there you know then the race course became safar Balear square um freedom park was an old was an old prison and then further down broad street you have seaback which is the center for black african arts and culture which is where all the documentation for festac 77 is kept you know so we yeah so we looked at all of that and we thought okay there's 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 how do we? There's there's a lot of history that's tied to sort of Yoruba heritage around this area. So how do how 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 do we pull from that and make that part of the subject matter, Which was why we came up with this idea to have the community space and then also an exhibition floor that tells that sort of narrative. So that tells that tells that Yoruba story and also so that that becomes like an exhibition space. At, at, at a higher level then at a the lower level we now have these additional facilities. So there's press rooms, there's seminar rooms, there's conference rooms, there's an online ra- there's an online library, there's a temporary exhibition space. So it becomes a daily use space. It becomes a multi-use, you know, becomes a multi-use space. Um that sits in this park.
1: Okay, so we're back.
0: So yeah. So for me it was very simply okay, how do we how do we sort of deconstruct this whole idea of western museology right um which decontextualized um objects of Yoruba or african origin if you want to call them that. and then if you focus and then put the focus back on the objects but not just on the objects but but the provenance the storyline and the fact that they weren't just objects you know they had a significance whether it was religious spiritual you know a uh, cultural daily function or whatever you know and cuz most of them were carvings or there were sculptures or there were bronzes and they were they were made for a purpose by somebody for somebody within a certain context within a certain framework so how do we recontextualize not just the objects but the narrative around how they came to be and 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 the social system that led to their creation, right? And then sort of almost sort of zoom out and look at the wider historical framework, looking at the culture, the heritage, almost sort of from the origin point. So because those objects relate to a point in space and time, right? But before that, before the creation of that actual object at that point in the space, at that point in time, there was, there was a system, there was a social system, there was a hierarchy that, you know, there were people, they lived within a certain kind of order, within a certain framework. And they, you know, this was what they did, this was how they did, and this is how these objects came to be. So the narrative, so we're almost sort of humanizing the story that created these objects well we're, so we're telling we're telling, we're telling it
1: we're telling it from a non-colonial lens right
0: e- exactly completely decolonized lens i know that word is very sort of popular at the moment and i try i try to shy away from it let's um, use it please you know. it will
1: help us with seo okay. De-colon- mm, well, Decolonize, fair fair, <laughs> fair 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 <laughs> So when people are searching for references, best come here, yeah. please. We've got the we've got the true the true Lolo mm. over here.
0: Yeah. But you see, the thing is for me personally, I think the word decolonize still centers the colonizer. Yeah.
1: It does. You know what I mean.
0: So um but yeah, for the for the purposes of yeah. So it's 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 saying, okay how do we how do we how do we sort of reconstruct this typology right or
1: well, how do we tell and it tell so, the story for, for ourselves by ourselves right exactly
0: because- celebrating ourselves exactly so that's that's what it was or so that that was where that was where my head was so where right? where do and, you
1: start the conversation though do you just pick up the phone hello british museum i'm this i'm just this guy with this um, i literally walked in or oh wow
0: I literally just walked in you know so um we designed the building um and and it was just a shell so in conversation with my clients you know i said to them that ah sir um sure you know when we're done like your building will be empty and he was like eh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know we gotta put stuff in it <laughs> Yeah, you know, we need
0: some stuff man yeah yeah it was like, okay so how do we go about it i said well we need content right um and apart from content we need um we need the infrastructure. So I use the li- I use the library analogy. Say you want to build a library. You need the building, obviously, right? And then you need you need the books. But the library would have more than just books. You'd have maybe maps, manuscripts, uh, so and then you need bookshelves because you can't just put your books on the floor, right? <laughs> you know, so you need you need bookshelves, you need computers, you need hangers, you know, and so on and so forth. So coming back coming back to 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 our space you know, we had the shell, and then we needed content, right, which wasn't just limited to objects or artifacts. And then we needed the actual museum infrastructure. So glass cases, projectors, uh, graphic panels, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, the list is endless. And then because in in, in this context, we were, uh, the one thing I was adamant about, there were two things. One, I wanted to be I wanted it to be an unapologetically Yoruba space. So Yoruba would be primary language English subtitles. Right. Oh, wow. That's number one. Yeah. And then and then number two, um, I wanted it to be a completely immersive space that was sort of typical of 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 a Lagos environment, because I guess that's what people are most familiar with. So 'cause when you think when you think Lagos, you think you think energy, you think chaos, you think vibrancy. If you're being positive, you think noise, you think smell, you think. And then you, when you think about different experiences in Lagos, so if you go for it, if you go for a, for an O and for example, or for a wedding, you know it's just a clash of colors, noise, vibrancy, swag money flying everywhere food smells champagne you know there's there's just an energy you know there's just a vibe there's just a vibrancy and which for me is is it sort of it characterizes lagos and by extension the rest of nigeria because if you go to abuja if you go to kano if you go to enugu it's just a sort of different interpretation of that energy right but so with so i wanted to capture that energy where you walk into that space, you know that you're not in a Western museum. Right? You know that you're so so a lot of a lot of elements that make up that system, you know, we were going against. So the first thing I wanted to do was have a soundscape from start to finish. Noise everywhere, if you want to call it that.
1: Uh, the African the African <laughs> trademark
0: oversensitized. Jetta style, Yeah. And so, because I remember the first conversations with our exhibition designers, they were like, no, that's, that's that's too much. It's too much sound. I'm like, no, no. Like, have you guys been to Lagos? Like, you need to come to Lagos, you know, sort of thing. You so are assaulted by noise. Yes, exactly. You are assaulted that's number by one. it. Exactly. Then number two, I want a colour everywhere, you know, almost like a sort of, wedding you know yes. you have bride's color here groom's color here again people are clashing the two yeah the assaulted by all the senses, all know, the like senses. Your sensory overload yep. you know the jollof rice just wafting past your nostrils you know all of that it's a complete multi-sensory experience you know which was a bit of a challenge because so i had i had to build a team of people who were experts in, 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 in museology, especially Western museology, and had to now try and explain to them that look, guys, we need to sort of break this down. Right. And 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 thankfully I had I you know I had some professors, you know, uh Professor Bjordon, especially Roland Biordan, who wrote this book called Yoruba Art and Language, which looked at um Yoruba heritage and language from a philosophical thought perspective. I'll come into that later on. But he was sort of instrumental. But going back to to the institutions like i literally just walked into the bm one day man <laughs>
1: <laughs> pitch in hand or just
0: Jealousy. pitch in hand oh, i was like i went into the reception i said hello hi <laughs> uh,
1: excuse me <laughs> excuse me
0: <laughs> can i speak to somebody curator for africa
1: yeah
0: you know they're like who do you represent I looked at her like, what do you mean? <laughs> I,
1: I, I am
0: me. I'm I
1: am me. I am
0: him. <laughs> and me is I. <laughs> I do I got a
1: question. Yeah. You know, people underestimate the power of just trying.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't get very far yeah. to summarize that story. Mm. Um, I actually got nowhere. <laughs>
1: But at least oh, you know that oh, they'll, they'll probably met... At least you probably got the name of the person who probably... I,
0: did, I said I didn't get cobble.
1: They didn't give you anything? <laughs> zero,
0: man. Oh, like my God. Zero. Okay,
1: so how did you do it?
0: <laughs> so um, so there was a friend of mine, um, Sawyer, who is also working on another um, museum project. So I think he'd come across these exhibition designers called Ralph Applebaum Associates. And they're like the daddy of museum designers. I mean, they, they did the Queen's Crown Jewels. I think they did the Jewish Museum. Uh, They did the African-American history museum in Washington. They're doing Obama's presidential library. Like they're literally the daddy of, of, of museums. So um, I sent them an email telling them, man, come on. I'm doing this museum. I need exhibition designers. Uh, Can we have a chat? I went into their office with a, with a set of my drawings.
1: (laughs) As you
0: do. And ignorance as, as is you do.
1: ignorance is bliss. Let's yeah,
0: man. Well, happens. I mean, yeah. So and the and the guy looked at me, Phil. Phil is my best to now, but this was back in twenty seven twenty sixteen. And he looked at me, he says, you know, who's my client? I said, Lagos State Government. He said, Do you have a contract with your client? I went, Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he said he um, said, well, this will cost you quite a lot. You know, I said, How much? You know, he, he, i said give me an invoice yeah so i told him to give me a minute i went to the side, called my commissioner i said look man i need this are you good for the money Guys i was like of course not <laughs> like what do you think this is i said okay and yeah, that can i add can i add this money to the project cost and he was like dude yeah whatever man you don't even have an agreement why are yeah. you asking me for project cost yeah so he said yeah fine whatever you know like sort of very yeah. dismissively so i went back to phil and i said yeah, all right, let's do it. And it was like, do you have the money? I was like, no, but I'll get it. And the guy was just looking at me like, is this guy mad?
1: Pompous young or is man. is this
0: guy, Pompous yeah. Pompous young man. Like, you're either mad or just foolish.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and so I just said to him, I said, look, man, you don't shoot. Right, so I have to say, you don't shoot, you don't, you don't shoot, you don't stop.
1: Yeah, go big you or don't go shoot, home. You don't score.
0: Go big or go home, man. So I was just like, so you know, he, he, he just looked at me and he said, and you came with your drawings. I went, yeah because, you know, I thought maybe you might have a look and give me some tips.
1: guys <laughs> yeah, so do you know how much I charge for this kind of consulting work?
0: <laughs> like, like 200 an hour. So the yeah. guy just said, you know what? Do you think you can make this work? I said, yeah. I said, I, I, I've worked on this for about six and a half months. I wouldn't do this if I didn't think it was possible. He says, but you don't have an agreement. I went, yeah, it'll come. <laughs> so the guy just said all right fine man let's look at it sat there and just reworked the entire interior and sent me the agreement i signed it they worked for about i think it was about a year and a half before we even got to the point where we had an agreement and i got paid and i could pay them so it was a complete leap of faith right but once i had phil on you know then i had my credible um so which, which, which works wonders. Mm.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so I went back to the British Museum with my own bouquet because Phil knew uh, the curator for Africa. Yeah. So we went back there, um, you know, he'd sort of written like a little, you know, synopsis. And so we had a meeting with them and they were like, oh, okay, yeah. Interesting. Come back when you actually have a contract <laughs> and and maybe when you're building. So fast forward through Phil. And in that time, I'd spoken to over a dozen. Because, OK, so I did. I realized that I'd done the building. I had my exhibition designer, but we didn't have a narrative. We had no intellectual base.
1: So, So one of the questions I asked in our previous recording was around You know, how many people does it take to build such a large project, making the dream come true, and how do you decide what direction or materials to use? Mm -hmm. Um, So we're just going to throw in those answers here because I think it'll give context to you feeling your way through what then becomes your team and how you navigated your choice in materials, etc.
0: Yeah, I mean, it started with just my team. With, with, with just my architecture team, it, it, what was very clear to me very early on, you know, sat around the table, talking to the guys, you know, listening to the client, you know, they, I knew what we needed to do. Because for me, every project's an opportunity. And I think it's, it's very easy to miss and it's very easy to get it wrong, especially if your aspirations are sort of quite low. Right. So for me, this was a, a once in a lifetime opportunity because my clients the lagos state government right and anywhere in the world you know talk less of nigeria if you want to build public institutions or if you want to build any sort of entity to serve the public government are the only organization that can do that at scale private sector cannot do it right and The last museum was built, the the National Museum was built in 1957 by the British government. It was funded by the British government. You know what I mean? So outside and then, you know, realizing very quickly that this could be the single largest um, cultural event since Festac if, if, if we do this properly. And especially... You know with the subject you know we so we had done all this research and we knew that we could create there was an opportunity to create something special so we just had to try and sell it so so straight straight off i mean we went we did our fancy ideas we used we used sort of yoruba culture as you know visual metaphors you know was very adamant that we had you know the building would come out the ground i wanted to you know i wanted to replant as much of the park as possible so i didn't want this big white modernist box that would be sort of sat in the middle of the site. I wanted the building to be part of the site, to come from the site, to blend with the site. You know what I mean? So that that was what informed our green roof. So it becomes so the building itself becomes an an extension of the landscape, if you will. You know, and you know we we we, we I couldn't use Adobe for structural reasons. So we you know we built it out of concrete because we needed it to be structurally sound, but we've rendered it in a in a in a mud like mud like finish so it still looks like you know it's indicative of but it's not right and and so we you know so we did all sorts of things with you know with the architecture to to make it as contextual as as we could right um at least the area that i had control of and then the swimming pool um we made it bigger so we made it 25 meters long so it's half an olympic size eight lanes wide so it can be used competitively so it's not just you know recreational for leisure at the weekends you know. Lagos state schools can come and they can have their inter-house sports and, you know, the sporting events, Olympic trials, whatever else. Right. Um, and then I knew that, okay, if we're going to do this exhibition space to international museum grade, MoMA, whoever it is, I needed the people that could do it. I needed subject matter experts. Right. And as, 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 as we went on um i stumbled on this book called yoruba art and language or someone actually recommended it to me and i read it and it's it articulated everything in my head (laughs) you know like and, and and i mean what the book basically does it talks about or it looks at yoruba as a language and and culture but from a philosophical thought perspective my my team right i've got yeah, so I mean, one of the things that I made sure I did was I went and got the best subject matter experts that I could. So I've got a Harvard scholar, right? I've got a Cambridge scholar who wrote the narrative for the museum, right? And then I've got I've got two other scholars, uh, one from Leeds and one from Wisconsin somewhere, right? And then my exhibition designers are Ralph Upperbaum Associates. They they've done they've done three hundred museums around the world. They did the African American Museum in Washington that was designed by David Ajaya. You know, so so I tried my best and then my 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 interior fabricators are um a company in the UK called The Hub. So the entire interior fabrication system is being made in the UK and is being shipped down to Lagos. In fact, my containers are in Lagos at the moment. You know what I mean? So that for me it was go in, go big, go hide, build the system from the ground up so not just the building but the actual operating system as well i've got a partnership with the british museum so they're helping me set up operating systems training staff you know management procedures you know all of that um the client has set up a board which is made up of public and private sector personnel we're currently speaking to sponsors you know and 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 funders so that we can so that we've got a support system for this institution because there, there really isn't any precedent for what we're doing, right? And for me, it's important to build that system so people can see it's possible. I call it first move at disadvantage. Everybody will say it can't be done until you do it, and then they'll say, "Yeah, I knew you could do it." <laughs> yeah. So Phil was instrumental in helping build that team because um, so there was this book, like you know, I spoke to about. Uh, Professor Roland Abiodun's book, Yoruba Art and Language, it's 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 recommended must-read. It's it it really sort of opens your mind into sort of Yoruba and extension, by extension, African philosophy. Um and and how it relates to what is now known as, say, Yoruba art and even language, you know, the role of the Orikis and even the differences in interpreting say african art or yoruba art and 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 western art even sort of just looking at aesthetics if i use that as an example so if you take michelangelo's david right which is your sort of classical west uh, western sculpture right very finely chiseled very beautiful very proportioned you know and then there was also this sort of belief that um the size of your intellect was inversely proportional to the size of your gender, um, which is why, you know, Michelangelo was seen as extremely intelligent, but had a very little willie, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? And, and because that was the aesthetic, aesthetic interpretation yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you look at um, Yoruba carvings of say male or female, there's more abstraction.
1: Yeah. And it where, was eyes, head, Yeah, the markings. focus is
0: on, exactly. Yeah. Because the Ori is sort of your centre of your being, your destiny. Yeah. So the head is seen as the most important. So if you look at the proportions, the head is almost sort of oh, it's bigger the than third, the body, if not yeah. half, than the body. Yes. And then the eyes being the window, yeah. you know, to the soul, so, to the Ori, are sort of prominent. Mm-hmm. And then the Willy is quite also prominent because that is the point of... Um, creation right uh and then with the women it's the heavy bosom with the big head the big eyes you know so you can see that the the approach
1: but to big aesthetic head, big interpretation head, big heads were considered beautiful the bigger your head yes the, the bigger your head man, you like
0: <laughs> big, yeah bigger head bigger members bigger yeah. bosom you know and so there was there was emphasis on those features you know in 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 your coffins. Right. So he was, he was for me, the key had to try and get him on. Right. So, so we got him on and then he insisted that um, we contact some associates of, of his. So Professor Jacob Olukwana, who is a Harvard professor of African religion, came on board. Professor Henry Drew, who's a Wisconsin Madison professor of African art, came on board. And Professor Drew actually worked at the National Museum sometime in the 60s. In Lagos, yeah. And then Dr. Will Re, a.k.a. What was Will's? We gave him a Yoruba name. So Dr. Henry Ozişola, And then I think Will was at Dickingley. And Will was born in Ipadon. Oh,
1: wow.
0: Yeah. And Will is Leeds University professor of African art. Will is like the number one scholar slash reference point on African wood carvings, man will can look at a carving and tell you who made it when you know like will is just will is bananas um and so so I had so they were they were my four fonts of knowledge you know so you know they were the nucleus so they created the narrative right the the intellectual base you know um for 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 the exhibition so the story that you walk through uh they created that and so it was it was it was about a celebration, and and look at the and it was a look at the evolution of Yoruba culture from the beginning of time. Look, you know, th- using one of the um, Yoruba origin stories from Ifa divination corpus, you know. So I won't give you too much detail because you have you have to come and look at it yourself, you know. But yeah, so that was the intellectual base, and then from there we now started to hire curators. Uh, researchers, curatorial assistants. And then we needed script writers and translators because the entire exhibition was in Yoruba. So obviously we crafted it in English first and then we had to translate it. So uh, to Boston was wielding <laughs> to carry out that exercise. Uh, And then, you know, from translation, we needed to get it proofread to make sure, you know, it made sense and all the amyohuns were in the right place. And uh, yeah, it was, it was it was it was chaotic. Cause if you, and then from the scripts, from the narrative, we now went let's say we went to market, we now went sourcing objects that would fit that narrative. you get so it wasn't back to front. So we had an opportunity because usually people have their collection, right? Before they build their museum, but we were doing this back to front, which now turned into an advantage because we could be quite targeted with the objects that we needed. And so uh, Professor Roland and Professor Henry also had their vision of what this space should be like. So, you know, Professor Roland always said, it's not a museum, it's a centre because museums are static. And about culture, by definition, is a very dynamic, you know, constantly evolving, you know, culture. It's, you know, constantly moving. So how do we express that? You know, Professor Henry, you know, was one who insisted on that sort of soundscape, you know? So it, it was, it was surreal cause it was like, these four guys just came and articulated everything that was in my head, you know, to such a high level of intellectual excellence that, you know, it was, it just, it just made my life and my job so much easier, you know? And then, so I was now able to sort of sit back almost at that sort of um, conductor of the orchestra quarterback level, and now I now look at it through the eyes of the end user. Cause I had all this sort of intellectual academic excellence. So I could pull back and say, okay, I have to be I have to make sure that this space is not too didactic. You know, I have to make sure that there's an entertainment component, there's a nostalgic component, there's a memory, there's a sort of fabric of memory component there. Right? Because the thing for me was when you went through museum spaces yes they were informative but they were almost sort of just very very simply academic and dull right i wanted to create a space that was emotional that that re- that the first first person you, you see you see it through the eyes of the first person where they re- they remember they respond so it's not just artifacts you know we were very clear that we didn't want more than 25 percent, if up to that of the entire exhibition to be just sort of old historical artifacts. So we wanted objects of recent past, objects of everyday. And then there was part of me that wanted to celebrate the everyday person as well as the sort of custodian of the culture. You know, so the market woman, the granot seller, the tailor, you know, the craftsman, the basket weaver, you know, so it's not just your, 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 your showing cars and your Herbert Ogundes and co, but the man on the street at the granular level, you know, because they play their part in moving the culture forward.
1: You they know? are
0: the culture. They are the culture effectively, you know? So, and like, for example, um, that's what brought about the Tales by Moonlight section, right? So we built the tree. That was probably the one highlight or not highlight, but it's the one part of my childhood that I remember.
1: Ah, Tales by Moonlight. Then yeah. After, then after Willy Willy will come on. Oh, Willy no. Willy and
0: Storyland <laughs> and all of that. you get? Yeah. You know. So for me, it was like, okay, how do I, how do I create sort of, not so much a visual metaphor, um, but some of it's you know, realistic and visceral enough for people to have a reaction when they come into the space, right? So you know, we created this tree, uh, and then you know, we we got benches from an existing tree that we cut down and then use that to create stools in a sort of semi-circle form and then do you remember uncle jimmy Sri Lanka?
1: Mm-hmm. we found him wow you found P- him
0: found uncle jimmy put him in a studio
1: like real life
0: <laughs> real life real life put him in the studio
1: oh and,
0: my god yeah and he read a number of stories for us you know epic. in Yoruba and english epic yeah. Evan. Then we found an old school radiogram. You remember the old school radiogram Like there was yes. one in my granddad's house, yeah, that you people had in their granddad's houses. Yes. So we got one of those, got it off eBay. Oh
1: my god. Gutted
0: it out, you know, put an LED plus speaker chip yeah. in it, and then recorded, so recorded the sound onto that chip so that you come into the space, you press a button, and Uncle Jimmy, you just hear still uh once upon a time. <laughs> And he starts the story, or the Yoruba version. He goes alo, and then obviously you go alo, and then and then the story gets, you know, the narrative comes through the, through the speakers, you know. So e- anyone of a certain generation recognizes Uncle Jimmy's voice, you know. And once they hear that voice, and they and they hear the story and the manner with which it's told, you know, there's a there's a visceral reaction to that. You know, there's a very sort of strong reaction because it just sort of takes you back. 30 odd years where you remember how these stories were told to you orally by your either your dad your granddad your mom your grandmom sort of thing you know so so we've got that like i remember when i took my client there and i pressed the button and he just looked at me and i was like yeah it's him
1: oh wow <laughs> how cool you know
0: very cool i knew i mean we have A few weeks ago, I took Uncle Jimmy there as well. Even Mm. he was stunned. I think he was almost tearful, you know, because he was like, is that me? I was like, yeah, that's you, dude.
1: (laughs) But I guess one of the questions is like being able to go back and celebrate um, because there's something about the, well, the building is more than just a building and the curation is more than just storytelling. I think it's also a celebration of the influences over time that have created what, what we know today as Yoruba culture, right? And being able to go back and tell that story. And off- tell
0: the story. Authentically
1: yeah. is Absolutely. so beautiful. What part of this was a learning for you around being bold?
0: all of it all of it um and it was i mean I had to be a quick study even though even though it took me time and i think when i started i was i was almost apologetic um you know reaching out to people and saying and i was almost begging them to buy into the vision so maybe there was a i don't know there was a desperation you know attached with that approach because I was reaching out to people and I was saying this is what I'm trying to do can you please come on board and it was just nope nope not interested who's your client no nope. are you kidding me no <laughs> I remember someone even said to me that um I can't afford to have my white stained by you
1: wow you're crazy and until I, you've done it right
0: yeah and you know and that made me realize so that was mm. very early on
1: mm. um
0: I remember someone saying to me um who are you um, i've never heard of you you're nobody wow
1: um
0: like why are you why are you even doing this um are you just trying to use this to launder money
1: you what? know are you just trying
0: to chop yeah it was it was awful it was negative it was wow. like it was it was disrespectful and and like it was a punch in the gut man and i remember going home just thinking you know what yeah i licked my wounds for a few days but then i just thought you know that was probably the best lesson I could have learned at that time because it made me realize one, how much, how more, how daunting this task was really going to be. Um, And secondly, very, very, very few people actually have um, the foresight or the ability to think outside of their sphere of understanding do you get so it made me become very very targeted with building my team do you understand like i didn't want any half steppers i didn't want any sort of maybe let me let me this thing could be good so let me come in but you know i'm half in so that when it start once it starts to go pear-shaped
1: i'm out i yeah. just
0: yeah deuces man you know sort of thing so, my, it changed my approach completely. So, anybody I'm coming to, I'm saying, look, man, you're either all in or not. I'm going to do this with or without you. Do you get So, yeah, I, I, I had to grow up very quickly.
1: Incredible. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: That's amazing. So, your favourite buildings in Africa are?
0: Ooh. The National Theatre Igomu Lagos. That building is why I became an architect. Yeah, I went there as a seven-year-old boy, seven-year-old boy, and I was done, love. As in, I remember the off-shutter concrete. It was, they used, what they did, what they used, um, they used sawn planks as shuttering for the concrete, and then they painted it white. So when you walk up to the building, you can see the grains of the wood on the concrete. I remember going there as a seven-year-old boy and losing my mind. That's my all-time old, fave. My dad thinks I became an architect because of him, but no, it's because of National Theatre.
1: What are the simple ways that you think, um, or that you would recommend that we can make our homes a little bit more spectacular than they are at the moment?
0: Colour art and... I say buildings are mem- capsules of memories frozen in space and time, right? So they're just backdrops. So whatever you can do to uplift your space, to 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 make you positive psychologically so that you can have fun memories that you can draw on when when you've left the space so anything you can do to improve that backdrop that's not a big TV that's not really heavy curtains you know so i think i think bright colors or muted colors and and art i think people underestimate the value of art in spaces so I, I would say off. Oh.
1: Thank you, Sharon, for another incredible episode. Um, hopefully this structure has been insightful where we've woven sort of the during and now the post and the post in the post. Um,
0: post, post. Would
1: love to have you on again, because I think the conversation around design and I guess, you know, everyone knows that real estate is a thing that tends to stand the test of time um, across centuries. Um, but would love to sort of have you back on on the the show um everyone can find you where
0: company website www.si.sa.com thank you so much
1: Thank you to over 20,000 of you that have tuned in and have continued to tune in. Because of you, our show is now distributed on Vodacom Africa's platform, news Your support helps make this show bigger and better. If you're a fan of the show, we would love to know. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Check out our free resources on entrepreneurship, productivity, finance, and leadership at thirdcultureafricans.com. You can now catch special episodes with video on YouTube at Third Culture Africans. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Let's do this.